0: Today's interview deals with the topic of transgenderism and sexual sin and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Hi, my name is Silas Firth.
0: I live in Homer, Alaska, and I own a video marketing and production company. I enjoy listening
1: to Compelled because these are everyday stories of real people. They're not necessarily focused on celebrities. These are stories of how God is working in our lives today, and that's encouraging and uplifting. So enjoy today's episode.
2: I remember standing in a group of guys one day at this new job I had where I was only known as male, and um, they had no concept that I was a girl, and yet I knew internally that I was not one of them. I remember realizing that the devil had, had tricked me.
0: I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to COMPELLED, a seasonal podcast with unique stories from the Kingdom of God told by the people compelled to live for Him. Last week, we heard a special behind-the-scenes episode with two-time NFL Super Bowl champion Bruce Colley. Bruce had everything that the world could offer—money, women, drugs, and even two Super Bowl rings. But although he was on top of the world in his own eyes, he was falling apart on the inside. You can hear that story and more at compelledpodcast.com. Today, our guests are Laura and Francine Perry. For years, Laura rejected God and hated her own body. She thought that she would find answers by transgendering herself into a man. But after living as a transgender man for almost 10 years, she realized that the creator of the universe had a far greater plan for her life. Her mother, Francine, joins us as well to share her perspective throughout Laura's journey. Laura and Francine's story is coming up right after a word from our sponsors. As I was putting together this particular podcast episode dealing with the topic of transgenderism and sexual identity, I immediately thought of another podcast I want to recommend called Girl Defined. It's hosted by my friends Bethany Baird and Kristen Clark, and their focus is on helping young women today understand God's beautiful design for womanhood. In a day and age when girls and women receive so many conflicting messages about their value, purpose, and identity, it's important that Christian young women understand that the only one who can define them is the one who created them. Bethany and Christem have created a whole slate of great resources addressing topics like dating, purity, feminism, sexual identity, and more. And they examine all of these topics through a biblical worldview using articles, books, videos, conferences, and now podcasts. You can listen to their show by searching for Girl Defined, or you can access their other resources by visiting girldefined.com. Again, that's girldefined.com. Throughout our history, American pastors and churches have played a vital role in the establishment and preservation of religious and civil liberty. Being salt and light requires knowledge of our culture as we fulfill the Great Commission and make disciples of all nations. Being a biblical citizen requires knowledge of biblical principles and how to apply them to the world around us. You and your church can be a catalyst for restoring biblical values in your neighborhood, state, and the nation. My friends at BiblicalCitizens.com sat down with pastors and other Christian leaders around the nation who are engaged in today's cultural battles. They've specifically designed a tool for churches and individuals that's easy to use, captivating, and impactful. You'll learn how the founders relied on their Christian moorings and biblical worldview to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. And you'll be treated to thought-provoking historical facts and inspirational true stories that are not taught in our educational institutions today. But ultimately, you'll be edified and equipped to embrace your faith and practice biblical citizenship in modern America. Ready to get started? Go to biblicalcitizens.com to sign up and get free access for you and your church. Again, that's biblicalcitizens.com. I met with Laura Perry and her mother Francine at their church in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Although most of the story is about Laura, her mother Francine plays an important role and our story actually begins with her. My first memory
3: of being in church was when I was four years old and I was sitting in a Sunday school class and the teacher handed a little white Bible up in the air. And she said, who would like to have this little white Bible? Well, that's all I needed because, you know, any kind of a little prize, a ribbon, a trophy, I was all for it, and I would do whatever. And she said, if you will memorize Psalm 23, and the first one to say it in church in front of all the people of about 180 people, she said, they'll get their name engraved on the Bible. And I thought, wow. So I worked really hard that week, and I was the first one to say it and got my little white Bible with my name on it. However... This really began a a path of becoming kind of a legalist Pharisee in my life, always thinking I had to perform. But later in life, in my younger adult life, I really began to see that I was not walking in the spirit, you know, because although I read the Bible, it was to more to get it off my checklist. Yeah. You know, instead of really digging in and um letting the Holy Spirit really work on changing me, you know, the seed stayed very immature for a long time.
0: Francine's works-based approach to Christianity had far-reaching consequences that she would only discover many years later. She got married, started a family, and had two children. Then, after two devastating miscarriages, Francine gave birth to her youngest, who she named Laura. But Laura, just like her mother, grew up with an inaccurate view of God.
2: I really didn't have a good concept of God. I really felt like God was cruel and distant. Um, I, I grew up in just this works kind of mentality like mom had, except instead of embracing it, and this is a good thing that I can work hard for God, I hated it. Um, I, I didn't see um, any real purpose in being a Christian. I remember hearing it all my life. I grew up in the church every time the door was open. I was in Christian school but I never saw God as loving or faithful. I don't remember hearing a lot about faith. I remember hearing a lot about um, Christianity and a lot about works and a lot about um, doing the right things and all the good behavior.
0: Not only did Laura misunderstand God's character, but she also began developing an inaccurate view of her mother as well.
2: You know, mom used to say all the time that you know girls are close with their daddy, but little boys love their mama. And I think she was okay with my brother being uh, closer to her um, and me being closer to my dad. But I was longing for more attention from mom. I really, I wanted to be close with her. I just felt rejected by mom, even though I can look back and see that that's, um, that wasn't true. That's what I believed and uh, But I think a lot of it was just really misunderstanding, and the enemy just really began to, to lie to me and, you know, tell me um, mom doesn't really want me around, mom doesn't love me, and maybe mom loved boys more. And then I found out about the two miscarriages, and um, I don't remember if it was mom, mom or dad, but one of them said, um, well, no, we only wanted three kids. If, if one of them had lived, you wouldn't be here. And I think that was intended for me to see that, wow, God must have really had a plan for me and there's a reason for me being here. But, you know, in my in my little mind, I couldn't understand that. It was like, um, I interpreted it more as God killed your brothers and yeah. um, he didn't want them or what, you know, I couldn't understand it all. There was a bit of survivor's guilt.
0: And how old were you at that point?
2: I was about five.
0: About five. Yeah. wow Wow.
2: And my brother was very quiet and obedient and probably you didn't hardly notice he was there. Um, You know, he was treated quite a bit differently. But a lot of that I can look back and, you know, I was extremely hyper. Um, I'm sure I was a pest, but that really was hard for me as a kid. I was told a lot that I was annoying
1: Hmm. and that
2: bothered me clear into college. I really struggled with not feeling like I was annoying everybody. And I constantly wondered if people were really thinking that I annoyed them. But it just started with that small seed and then the enemy just lying to me and telling me these things, and then I became really jealous of my brother. And I wanted – I used to fantasize about being one of the brothers that had died and thought, what if I had been one of them instead and had lived? Mm. And um, so throughout early childhood, this became a fantasy, and I began to think about it all the time. I began writing stories about me being a boy. Um, I would play video games all the time with – a male character and just lived in this sort of fantasy world as a young child. In childhood, I think one thing that complicated the issue was because, because I was jealous of my brother and I was wanting to be a boy, I started acting like a boy. And the more I acted like boys, the more girls started to reject me. Mm. So I felt rejected by the girls at school. I was rejected by the girls at church. And so I just felt it was it was just a snowball effect. The more I acted that way, the more I was rejected and the more I believed it, and it was this continual cycle. But then um, I was molested when I was eight.
0: Laura was young and vulnerable, and had been molested at a place that was supposed to be safe. She was immediately ashamed and felt terribly dirty. But because the relationship with her mother had deteriorated so far, she was too afraid to tell her mother or anyone else about the molestation. It was a dark secret that she would carry alone for the next 25 years and it was also the beginning of a long slide into a promiscuous and sinful lifestyle
2: that really began to change me Um, i became very sexualized i began experimenting with my friends and uh, it just really led me down a very dark road very early in life Um, and then by the time i was in probably early teens, I was already getting into pornography, um, and just, it it just kind of warped my, um, my sense of love and my sense of, um, self. I, I just became lost in the, in this world, sort of, over the years, um, became more and more sexual. By the time I was in high school, I was sleeping around all the time. I, um, really became very, very angry. I was angry at God for making me a girl. I think I struggled uh, when around puberty. I hated my female body, and I especially hated it even more when I was having trouble with it. And so it was causing me extreme amounts of pain. I had um, polycystic ovarian syndrome um, and uh, some other female problems. So not only was it causing me an intense amount of pain, but it wasn't working right, and I was told I'd have trouble getting pregnant. And so there was this real anger of, I don't want to be a girl anyway. It's not working, and it's causing me nothing but pain. And so I really began to hate being female, and I was very angry with God for making me a girl. And uh, the more I would – these boys were always – um, that I dated in high school, were always talking about women like they were just trash. They they degraded women yeah. in such a way and just made me feel so worthless. You know, looking back, I, I blamed my mom for all kinds of things that weren't her fault, things I didn't understand, but it's hard to understand those things as a child. But there was a point where there was a lot of an intentionally, I want to hurt them. Um, I was just an angry, bitter child. Um, and I I started drinking a lot and I started, she was teaching at the school I started bringing alcohol to school trying to sneak it around and then tell all my friends so that, you know, doing these things behind her back um, I was a horrible teenager um, and I really put them through a living hell
0: During this time, Laura's parents were taken completely off guard They couldn't fathom what had happened to their daughter and couldn't understand why she was continually getting into trouble They tried everything they could do to help her, including sending her on multiple mission trips and seeking counseling. But nothing seemed to make a difference. Laura's parents, and especially Francine, were at a loss.
3: I remember one night in particular that she just really lashed out at us and just screamed that she did not believe anything we had ever taught her. And her comment, I still remember, was where was God when I needed him? Mm -hmm. And um, she would go on to bed and just collapse you know after this rant and so the next morning i would be in the kitchen and she would come in and act as if though nothing had ever happened you know and i was just like it was just like kind of a jekyll and hyde you know and so uh i saw real anger but yet the next day she would come and put her arms around me and just act like nothing was wrong so it was, it was quite confusing. And so on Father's Day of the year 2000, we did the hardest thing we've ever done, and we left her. Picked her up in uh, Washington, and we left her at a home in the Rocky Mountains of Montana. She was crying and hanging on to me. And she said, I'll be good if you just let me come home. I'll do whatever you want. But I knew that she could not. Uh, and it would be the same old story again. So she stayed at that home for about a year and a half, and we thought things were a lot better.
0: The group home tried to bring the light of the gospel to troubled teens like Laura. Internally, Laura wanted nothing to do with God. But after several months, she made a profession of faith. In reality, though, it was simply to conform and fit in, and there was no real heart change. Then, after graduating from the program, Laura enrolled in college back home in Oklahoma and things quickly devolved once again. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18 and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcast's top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org.
2: Over the next couple of years, I tried to live this life and I tried to, you know, in my flesh and, um, but I didn't really have any interest in going to church. I didn't have any interest in reading my Bible. I was trying to do all the right things, um, but I soon found myself spinning out of control again. By the time I got into college, I was um, I was lonely. I started getting back into pornography, um, started dating guys again. And I kept thinking that I was going to find happiness in that, and I'd find a guy that really loved me. Well, I'm giving them what they want. Why don't they love me in return? And it just never... Um, brought the results that I thought it would. And so I started just having these um, like random casual encounters. I joined like a hookup site on light and I thought, well, I'm not going to give them the chance to hurt me. I'm just going to have these like casual encounters with no strings attached. Um, but I found myself always wanting, um, like hoping they would want me, yeah. you know, yeah. and they never did. And uh, I basically became like a prostitute without even getting paid for it. Just um, going all over the state, meeting random guys. And I, really became so empty. I remember one day really being ashamed of what I had done with my life, and it was kind of like, how did I get here? Um, I remember I was dating one guy in particular that was just, he was horrible to me. He was um, a severe alcoholic and uh, just was not treating me well, and we went on this romantic vacation one time, and I thought, I remember thinking, he's just treating me like trash, and I remembered all those feelings all my life of wanting to be a boy I had kind of put that on the back burner through my young adult life because I hadn't heard of transgender back then no one ever talked about transgender no one that was I hadn't even heard the word and so I didn't ever consider it at that time because I didn't think it was possible but by this time I'm like you know this is I'm not finding happiness because I'm supposed to be the man and I'm going to be a better man than all these men have been to me and i um, I had been so angry with women because of all the rejection in school and at church all, over all the years. I really wanted nothing to do with women. I didn't want to be a girl. Um, and so I decided that I was going to become a man and I just really believed that lie. I remember from the, I, I typed into Google, girl becoming a boy, just to see if anybody felt like I did, because I still had not heard the term transgender. And I was just amazed at all these things popped up. And there were other people out there that felt like me. And um, this was going to be my ticket to freedom and, and to happiness. And so I looked up this support group in Tulsa and I, um, went and they said, oh yeah, I'm a year or so of hormones, no one's ever gonna know you were a girl and your voice would get lower and you'll start growing facial hair and then you can have surgeries and one day everybody's gonna
0: believe that you're a man and, um, and so I really just bought the lie. In July 2008, it had been eight months since Laura's parents had last seen her. And in that time, Laura's appearance had completely changed. Francine and her husband chose to celebrate their 40th wedding anniversary by having dinner with their daughter, Laura, but that evening was nothing like what they expected.
3: When we walked into the restaurant, she had totally butched her hair off. And so I didn't say anything and we were eating and then my husband excused himself to go to the men's room. And I just looked at her and I said, Laura, are you trying to look like a man? because it hadn't even entered my mind. yeah. And tears streaming down her face, and she said, yes, mom, I am. And I tell you, I can't even describe the elephant that immediately appeared on my chest. I, just, I thought I could not breathe. I thought I was just gonna pass out right there. I thought I was gonna throw up on the table.
0: How, how, how did you feel as, um, as a mom?
3: A failure. I felt like a failure through much of her teen life. The guilt I felt and a failure as a mother. And so, you know, what if I had done this differently? What if I hadn't done this? You know, is it, is it my fault? What have I done? I went home and I was down on my face. And just told the Lord, I said, um, you know, we've had some rough things in our life before but we've never had anything like this. And I said, I've taught, I've been in Bible school, we were at the church every time the doors open, and it seems like all these bad things happen to us. And I've learned now in retrospect, he was trying to get my attention too. And it's not about what you do for him, it's who he's wanting you to become and the relationship that he wants to have with you. And so I just came in absolute surrender and over the next six months, as I tell some people, he did a, a mighty roto rooter job on me and uh, really began to change my heart. And that seed that was planted when I was eight years old, that thought I had to just perform and perform uh, to have God pleased with me, he really began to change my heart. And I developed a real relationship. And being, you know, led by the Holy Spirit, the Bible became alive to me. All those scriptures I had memorized, well over 500. But it all became alive to me and was all making sense now. And so through all this, God used it to humble me and break me before him.
0: But while God was doing a mighty work in Francine's heart, Laura wanted nothing to do with God. She began running away from him faster than ever. She stopped using her name, Laura, and instead called herself Jake and did everything in her power to become a man.
2: So during this time, um, I I became one of the most selfish people on earth, I think. I, um, I cared nothing about my family, I didn't care anything about mom and dad, about anybody else in my life. I was going to do this regardless because I really believed this identity was going to bring me happiness. Um, and I believed it's who I was, I, I convinced myself that not only... In fact, I didn't want to be transgender, I really wanted to be a man. And I really believed that I would become a man. And um, I didn't even want to... I had tried to date girls a couple of times, but I really wasn't... Attra- I'd always been attracted to boys, but I really wanted nothing to do with women. Um, but I, I struggled because I wanted to be a normal heterosexual man. I still had that deep jealousy of my brother and just wanted to be, um, you know, just a normal man. And so, um, I ended up dating a, um, a man that was living as a woman. So we were both transgender. Mm -hmm. And so to the world, I could look like I had a a girlfriend, um, and later we, um, we never got legally married, but at some point considered ourselves married. but I started down this road, and I took hormones. Uh, I took testosterone injections into the muscle um, for almost nine years. Eventually, I decided to have the um, my chest operated on to have a double mastectomy and have a, basically a male chest reconstructed. And I really thought this was going to be kind of the pinnacle of my life. I was going to the surgery would make me legally male. And I thought, you know, no one's ever gonna know I was a girl and I'm just gonna, um, basically ride off into the sunset of happiness and never look back. And I'll never forget, right before I left, my um my aunt, who's um she's not a, a blood relative, but my mom's best friend growing up who um was a woman that really did pour a lot into my life. I I, I loved um I loved her very much, and uh, she had written me this letter and told me, you know, Laura, you just need to run away from this. This is from the pit of hell, and the enemy's lying to you. I don't remember what all it said, but something to that effect. And uh, I was really angry with her. I was so angry I didn't talk to her for several years after that. But it really ended up having a profound effect on me. And this is one reason I'm so passionate to tell people, to be willing to tell people the truth, even if they get mad, even if it's offensive, because you never know what that seed does. So I was laying there on the operating table and I was waiting for the anesthesiologist to come in. And I remember looking down at the purple dotted cut lines all over my body. And it was like something out of a horror movie because I could see where the doctor was gonna cut. It was quite terrifying. And I remember thinking, what if she's right? And I remembered that letter she had sent to me and it really had a profound impact. And for the first time in years, I began to pray and I asked the Lord to spare my life. See, all this time, all this anger and all this rebellion, I knew that God was real. I knew the Bible was true. I just was running away from it. I know that mom and dad were praying for me and I know their friends were praying for me. Um, But they wouldn't know for years that that had a really big impact on my life and God began over um, During that time to kind of work on my heart a little bit, but it was just small seeds and um, But in that moment, I knew I needed God. I really did not know if I'd wake up I thought what if something goes wrong in the surgery and I don't wake up. I knew I would be in hell But I wanted it that badly that I was willing to risk it hoping that I would wake up So I asked God to spare my life When I woke up, I just thought I was on cloud nine. I thought this was the greatest thing ever. I liked the physical results. I was so excited and just, it was everything I'd ever wanted. I went back to um, work a few weeks later. I had a boss at the time that was a lesbian, so she was very pro-LGBT. And I was sitting at my desk one day and she came over and she said, look, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you're moping around here, you're depressed, you're not working as hard, and I want the old Jake back. And I was stunned. I was like, what is she talking about? I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. You know, can't you see the happiness? <laughs> like, I've, I've had this chest surgery. This is everything I've ever wanted. And you don't know what you're talking about. I'm just still recovering and um, kind of blew it off. But I went home that night. And I thought, what is she seeing that I'm not seeing in myself? And I finally had to admit that my surgery hadn't made me a man. And I had been really depressed over the last few weeks because I really had believed it would make me a man, but it didn't. And that was devastating. And over the next year or so, I thought, it's because I still have all these female organs. You know, once I get rid of all that, then I won't have this dysphoria anymore and I will truly be a man. Um, You know, I still have all these female hormones surging through my body. And so I had all the female organs removed a couple of years later, and that still didn't fix it. And I realized that no matter what they did to my body, this still was not real. This is just all a cosmetic change on the outside. And as much as I couldn't stand to admit it, I knew I was not a man. I remember standing in a group of guys one day at this new job I had where I was only known as male, and um, they had no concept that I was a girl, and yet I knew internally that I was not one of them. There was something intangible that I couldn't put my finger on that made me different from them. But I really, I was just devastated because I realized that I'd sort of been played. I remember realizing that the devil had, um, had tricked me. And so I resolved to live life somewhere in between, um, just living the best life that I could, presenting as male, but I was really empty inside and I was so broken.
0: No matter how dark things became for Laura, God was still working. Eventually, people in Francine's church started hearing about what was going on in Laura's life. Instead of becoming an outcast, Francine found herself encouraged and supported by her fellow believers. As the years passed and Francine continued to completely surrender Laura's future into the hands of God, Francine began teaching a Bible study for other women, many of whom also had prodigal children. And slowly, God began opening the doors of communication between her and Laura.
3: You know, God really began to show me little glimmers of hope, you know, and I knew that he was working on her because she had been calling some, you know, and but I still learned that I only answered questions. Only the information she asked for. I didn't start foaming at the mouth to tell her everything that I wanted her to know.
0: That that was something that God had, like, impressed on your heart?
3: Yes. You know, just answer the questions and just let her work on that. And God softened my heart, and he began to show me she was a victim of the enemy, and any of us can fall victim. You know, I, I've shared that with a lot of the ladies, you know, that so many of them have prodigals. We have prayer every week at Bible study intentionally for our prodigals. And about every five to six weeks, we spend an hour of just intentional prayer. When I look back now, seeing how God gave this Bible study and caused a group of women to learn to love her, you know, and pray for her, and the excitement, if I would tell them I was seeing little glimmers of hope that things were changing— you know, they would all be so excited. And the love that they have for her is beyond anything humanly possible. This Bible study grew, and it got to a point where a lot of the women that maybe were working or they missed going out of town, they said, we wish you would record it, put it on a CD. And then somebody said, you need to have a website. And I thought, well, that I can't do that. But I knew Laura had the skills. So I called her one day, and I said, you know, my Bible study's growing. They want me to have a website. And I said, I would hire you to, you know, make me a website and then manage it. And she jumped on it.
0: Uh, Laura, what did you think? Like, was this kind of surreal, like a Christian Bible study? Like.
2: No, I really didn't even think about that much. Um, I didn't really care about the the Bible study at the time, or um, but I I needed the money. I was actually excited for just the work for um, a portfolio because I hoped to land a, a web development job one day, and so that's really all I saw it as. Um, but I wanted, I genuinely wanted to do a good job. I I loved programming, and so I. I thought it would be cool to make a summary for each lesson. And so and as I didn't did. ask her to do that. <laughs> I never asked her to look at the lessons and make a summary ever. Yeah. Yeah, so this was, you know, I didn't know then that it was God putting this on my heart. Um, but I just thought this was a cool idea I came up with. And so I, I began to read the lessons. And as I did, the Word of God just began to penetrate my heart. And I'll never forget, um, specifically, I was really blown away by how how she was describing God and what she's seeing of the heart of God in the Bible. I had always just seen the Bible as God's rule book, um, you know, step one, two, three to pleasing God. And uh, I was just blown away at this loving, faithful, trustworthy God that she's talking about. And I really, I was so hungry to hear about this, I think. And so I called her one day and started asking her questions. And uh, she just very calmly and patiently answered my question. And I don't know what she thought that first day, but I started—I went from almost never calling her to calling her every single day. And I called her every day after work, and I could not wait um, to talk more about the Bible. And about six months went by, and I said, Mom, what's happened to me? I'm 180 degrees from where I was six months ago. I said, all I want is to hear the Word of God and to hear what you're teaching— and she said, well, I've been praying that God would draw you back like a magnet. And that's exactly what God had done to me. And He had just totally turned my heart around. And about that time, something real dramatic had happened in my life. I called Mom and asked her for advice because all my life, Mom had either had the solution and told me what to do, or if she didn't, she would spend you know, hours figuring out what I was supposed to do. And she had always had the solution. And she said, honey, you just need to trust the Lord. And that blew me away. My mom had never said that to me, that I could remember. Um, All I had ever heard was, this is how we fix it. And it was, you know, we're gonna figure out how to fix it. Um, But all of a sudden she's telling me that I can trust God. And that was a really radical thought to me. And it was at that moment that I saw the change in my mother um, and I knew she was different and I asked her what had happened to her. And she told me how she'd been changed by the Holy Spirit and how she'd really surrendered to His control in her life. And it was at that moment I knew the gospel was true. You know, not just intellectually true, because i had always believed it intellectually. But all of a sudden it all made sense. And it was like, I knew that Christ was alive. This was a real power. Because I'd seen a totally different mother than I'd grown up with. Um, no longer just worried about pleasing God through all these uh, this external behavior. Not all these works. Not this angry, judgmental, critical attitude. Um, but loving and patient. And um, just filled with peace. I'll never forget the peace she had in her life. Because I didn't have that. Yeah. I was a mess. I was in constant turmoil. Even though there were times I was happy, I didn't have peace. And I remember... I wanted what mom had and so that night I prayed the sinner's prayer. I really did begin to confess my sins um, and I was very genuine and I remember my first thought was this horror of the the amount of my life that I had wasted because I knew I'd known the truth all my life and had been running away um, from God's purpose for my life. And so, um, but I really felt like such damaged goods. I remembered all, all the times that I had rebelled against my parents, all the, the lies that i had told, all the sin. I remembered specifically times that I was praying to Satan, times I was asking Satan to keep people from coming to know Jesus. And I just
0: thought, there's no way God
2: still wants me.
0: But God did want her and he had plans for her that were greater than anything she could have imagined. And it became apparent just after she surrendered her life to Christ. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that. Because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compel, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they wanna do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com, again that's ctcmath.com. You love Christian testimonies, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who have already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England, who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador, but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Ten Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free US shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M. compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too.
2: I was riding down a glass elevator at work, and I was kind of looking out over the city, um, and I was watching this couple cross the street, and I, I said, God... I, I want to be used by you again, but I don't know how. I don't even know where to start. And God said, "Start with them." And I was like, "Oh, what do you mean? God's talking to me? I had never heard God talk to me before." And but I knew immediately what God was talking about, and it just really stunned me. And then I was I was scared and I thought, "That wasn't God. I'm I'm hearing things. And this is crazy." And so I went outside of my break and I'm just kind of looking around I thought you know they'll be down the street by this point anyway and I'm not gonna be able to catch up with them and um but they had stopped at the bus stop right in front of my building and of course you know there they are waiting and um but I didn't I was too scared I didn't have any clue what I was supposed to say with them God didn't give me any further instruction he just said start with them and so I thought I kept making up excuses. I thought, by the time I get over there, the bus is going to come. And then, you know, then it'd be awkward and they'll want to get on the bus. I thought, I'm just not going to do this. I'm hearing things. I went back in the building four times and there was such an elephant on my chest. I've never felt my heart beat that hard in all my life. It was pounding out of my chest. And I said, I cannot go back and just go back to work. I have to go talk to these people and I have no idea what I'm going to say. But like, here goes God, I'm just gonna trust you. I'm gonna go talk to these people. And I walked up to them from behind the bus stop and rounded the corner. And I'll never forget, they both turned at the same time and looked at me and just stared at me like they were waiting for me to say something. It was the weirdest thing. And I remember knowing that that God really did set this up for me to talk to them. And I said, hi, I never do this but I feel like, and I didn't know what to say, and God sort of fed me one word at a time. And I said, I feel like God wants me to pray with you. Is there anything I can pray with you about? And I felt really stupid because I, I thought God was going to give me some big prophetic word like, thus says the Lord, and even yeah. tell me everything yeah. going on in their life and all this. But no, but when I said that, tears started streaming down their faces, and I was like, I was stunned. And I kind of looked at him, and they said, Um, We've just moved to town. They'd moved like that, I think the day before. They had no money, they had no job, they had nothing. And they said, yes, please pray for us. And I said, okay. And so I had barely prayed. I mean, the day before I had said this little sinner's prayer, but I didn't know how to pray, but I just grabbed their hands. I knew God had set this up and I started to pray and the Holy Spirit came on me with such power. I couldn't even stand up straight. And I could feel the Holy Spirit begin to fill me. And after I said amen, I remember feeling like a light burst forth from my chest. I felt totally transformed. I could physically feel the transformation in me. And I called my mom and I said, Mom, you're never gonna believe what happened. And she'll tell you I even sounded different. And I truly was, I was a, a new creation. And I remember everything came flooding back. I could remember all the scripture I learned as a child. I could remember everything started to make sense. And all I, I just had a desire to praise God.
0: Laura had given her life to Christ a couple of days prior, but that powerful moment at the bus stop was the defining point when she realized that God could and would transform anyone. But the road ahead would not be easy. Both Laura and Francine would have to give up control in their own ways.
3: I began to think of all the things I could do to help, you know, to kind of speed this process along and help God. And very clearly, it was impressed upon me, Francine, only one of us is going to work on her. And he said, if you want me to work on her, then you're hands off. And he said, you work on your relationship with me, and as you work on your relationship with me, I will work on her. And he said, if you want to work on her, I'm not. And so I, I just relinquished all control, which he's probably wanted from me for a long time. And uh, I just began to sit back like a spectator, watching all the changes that were going on in her life, just little things that he was doing to build her faith.
2: And I was very genuine. I wanted, I thought this is my new identity. I'm a man of God and, um, I'm going to be an evangelist and, you know, all these things. And I, I just had a burning desire to know more about God, to study his word. I was consumed almost every waking moment with learning more about God. And, um, but eventually the funny thing was as I, the more I learned about God, the more I began to be convicted about my lifestyle. And a few months had gone by, and there was this guy I was listening to on the radio named Dr. Everett Piper, um, who, he was just such an eloquent speaker, and he was, I'd become a big fan of his, and one day he starts talking about transgenders, and I kind of just tuned him out, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to pretend like he hadn't said this, and he'll be on to a new topic next week, and it'll be fine, Um but the next week he was talking about the same thing. And again, the next week and the next week and the next week. And I was like, man, is he ever going to talk about something else? But eventually I started to listen and I was stunned because what he was saying wasn't hateful. What he was saying was that we're not just made up of our feelings, our instincts, and our desires. We're made in the image of God Hmm. and we can choose our behavior despite how we feel. Yeah. And that was a radical thought to me. Christ had had a greater purpose for us and a greater calling on our life than just doing whatever made us happy. And there was something that I always felt like there was this greater purpose that God had for me. Um, And so that really began to intrigue me. But I didn't know what to do about it. Um, And then I called mom one day and I said, mom, what are you studying in your Bible study? And she said, well, I've been studying on the judgment seat of Christ. And I was like, whoa, whoa, I'm not ready for that. And I knew I was so just convicted, pierced to the heart, and I knew I was not ready to stand before God. And so that night I went home and I said, God, what would it take for me to hear well done, good and faithful servant? I said, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to miss Anything you have for me, mom was telling me about how some people are going to stand before Jesus ashamed because all their works are going to be wood and stubble and it's all going to burn and they're going to stand there with nothing. And I said, I don't want that to be true of me. So, um, the Lord asked me, He said, if you stood before me tonight, what name would I call? And I was really stunned by that question. I said, I didn't know how to answer that. Because I just assumed that God would call me Jake. That was my legal name at the time. Yeah. And um, I really hadn't considered that before. Over the next few months, the Lord really began to reveal the insanity of the transgender life Mm. style to me. And I began to see all these other people that were claiming to be trans um, species, trans age, transracial. And I knew that was all insane. And the Lord said, "If, if that's all insane and you know that's just in your mind, then it's Transgender insane, too. Mm. And I really began to think about that. And I realized that this was just something I believed that wasn't real. And eventually, I was so convicted that I felt like I had fallen into this deep, dark pit that I couldn't get out of. And I said, God, I don't know how to fix this. I know I cannot continue to live as transgender. I don't know what to do about it. What am I supposed to do? Just show up in a dress at work and say, just kidding, I'm really a curl. I said, they only know me as a man. Yeah. And so I didn't see a way out. And I began to beg the Lord with all my heart to take my life. I said, please just let me die because I can't keep living this way. But I, I don't know what to do about it. I can't fix this. And so after about a month, I had a clear vision one night of Jesus Christ getting down on one knee. He reached his hand into the pit, and he said, do you trust me? And I knew that he was asking me to leave everything, and I did. And I took his hand, I left everything behind, I walked away from my entire identity, from my partner, from my job, everything that I had known for the past decade, and walked away from it all to follow Christ. But it was worth it all. The first few days were the most difficult and dark days I've ever been through in my life. It was as if I was dying. And I really was. I was dying to self. Jesus said, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? And so I knew that I, whatever it cost me, I didn't care. I was willing to forsake all to follow Christ.
0: The decision was final. After running away from her sexual identity for years, she was ready to surrender this last area of her life. She was not Jake. She was Laura, a daughter of God. On Sunday, July 24, 2016, Laura packed up all of her earthly possessions, hopped in her car, and moved back into her parents' home. There she found her family and church waiting for her with open arms.
2: It took a while to, to want to be a girl again, mm. but God really began to transform my heart, and I could not believe the ways he was blessing me and giving me not only true joy and peace and happiness, but giving me opportunities to share my story, um, to help others. And uh, just began to burden me for that community and to expose the lies of the transgender movement. And truly, I have just been blown away by what God has done in my life. He has totally redeemed and restored not only my life, but also my relationship with my mom um, and the rest of my family. And it has just been an absolute miracle what God has done.
0: After nine years inside of the heart of the transgender movement, Laura was finally free. But even more importantly, she had found a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. Over the last four years, Laura has grown and matured in her faith, and today she and Francine share their testimony with women all over the nation. I asked them to share the ways that we as Christians could apply the lessons God has taught them through their journey.
2: I'll tell you what Dr. Piper told me that was so, really, is the truth that set me free that we are not just made up of our feelings, our instincts, and our desires. We are made in the image of God and we can choose our behavior despite how we feel. Our feelings don't control our behavior and they don't define who we are. We are created for God's purpose, not for ours. Life is not just about doing whatever feels good and we will never find true happiness and fulfillment in doing just whatever feels good, but rather in living for God.
0: How can we best... Interact, love, witness to people struggling with sexual identity.
2: I think the most important thing we can do is to remember that we do have the truth. Um, that Jesus Christ, if He is truth, there's no truth outside Him. There is no truth that the world offers that um, is is just as good. Um, and we have the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. And we really can speak into people's lives. Even if we don't totally understand it, we know what the Bible says. And I think one of the most loving things we can do is affirm who people are, who God says they are.
0: Mm. Uh, Francine, a question for you. Uh, What would you say to a parent that has a prodigal child?
3: I'll say what worked for me, and that was that I came before the Lord with absolute surrender to Him because I had to come to uh, face the fact I cannot change my child. I cannot. And so I had to surrender that to the Lord, and then I surrendered myself fully to Him to be involved in a relationship with Him, to be in His Word, to memorize it, to meditate on it. I stayed in the Word hours a day in some respects i needed to be changed as much as she did and so um i would just tell him the only way that i believe you're going to have any kind of peace the only way that your prodigal will probably return to you is for you to surrender to the lord and let the prodigal see the change in you by your absolute surrender to him
0: thank you all so much for joining us i've really been blessed by hearing y'all's testimonies And uh, just thanks for sharing this with us.
2: It was a pleasure. Thank you for having us.
0: Laura and Francine's story was very moving for me to listen to. As a father myself, I can't imagine the turmoil and angst that Francine must have felt as she watched her daughter run away from the Lord. But today, Francine gives God all the glory for bringing Laura into his kingdom and redeeming her to himself. I pray that God gives all of us the strength and courage to completely surrender our children into his hands right now, no matter what stage of life they're in. Likewise, Laura's testimony is extraordinary. The further she pursued her own pleasures and altered her body, the less she was fulfilled, and the greater her need for God was exposed. God's love for her was unwavering, and he didn't hesitate to save her. What a beautiful reminder that there is no sin too great, secret too horrible, or addiction too powerful that can separate us from the love of God. I'm reminded of Romans 8, 38 and 39, where the Apostle Paul writes, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Today, Laura continues her ministry both by speaking and by writing. If you'd like to learn more about Laura, invite her to speak or read the testimonies of others who have left their transgender lifestyle. Then visit Laura's website, transgendertotransformed.com, where you can also buy a copy of her book. Again, that's at transgendertotransformed.com. We'll also be giving away an autographed copy of Laura's book, appropriately named "Transgender to Transformed." It's a riveting account of her journey and what you've heard on Compelled is only a small part. You can win a copy by entering our drawing this week at compelledpodcast.com, where we'll also include links and some behind the scenes photos of Laura, including what she looked like before and after she was saved. Again, that's at compelledpodcast.com. You know, we live in an age and a day where the topic of transgenderism and sexual identity is incredibly relevant and yet it feels taboo to speak about in certain circles. If you found this interview to be helpful and encouraging, and you know someone that has either struggled with sexual identity or has a family member that is, then I would encourage you, please, send this story to them. This episode was produced by me and my wife, Sarah Hastings. Our editor is Zach Fowler. Our production intern is Ethan Adams. And our music outro is by Ben Jackson and Brian Ficchino. Special thanks to Carla Severin, one of our Compelled listeners, who knew Laura and Francine and suggested that we interview them. If you have a friend who you think should be on Compelled, please let me know. Stay tuned for a sneak peek from next week's episode with Josh and Amy Glasscock. As a child, Josh was diagnosed with a rare genetic disease called cystic fibrosis, which has no cure and always causes death in its victims. But instead of shutting down and resigning himself to a defeated existence doomed to die, Josh and his wife Amy believe that God has called them to live a full and abundant life and as you will hear they have I'm your host Paul Hastings and we'll be back with another compelling story next Tuesday
1: It was a different mindset that we had We were like yes we are sick but we're not going to let that we're not going to let that own us We're not going to let that keep us you know down This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how Evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com.